wonderful, uh, beautiful, historical, and uh, very enlightening book of the Bible that really sets the stage for the rest of the scriptures. If you don't know Genesis, then it's very hard for you to understand anything. We're, we're learning so much, and tonight we're going to look at the rainbow. What's the rainbow mean? Where did it come? I've called the message God's rainbow of assurance, and we're going to read from uh, Genesis 9, 8 through 17. Let's ask God's blessing in a word of prayer. Father, we're thankful tonight that we have a, a place, a cool place to come to worship. And I thank you, God, for our worship team and the servants in the building. I pray, God, that you would just continue to use them. Thank you for their gifts and abilities. Thank you for calling them here. And Lord, as we come together in worship and we open our Bibles together, I pray that you would just teach us, open our hearts, help us, Lord, to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. And so we just welcome you here, Jesus. Amen. Let me really quickly go over a couple of things. This chapter 9 is all about the beginning, new life. God gives new instruction as Noah now has <clears throat> landed there on the mountains of Ararat in that large rescue box, the ark. He and his Mrs. Noah and their three boys and their three wives, they come out of the ark and the world they walk into is radically different than the pre-Diluvian, the antediluvian world, radically different. Uh, uh, the landscape has been displaced. There are higher mountains than ever, deeper gorges, an ocean with borders around many different continents, and uh, there's death everywhere. Noah and Mrs. Noah walk outside and they see just death everywhere, dead animals, uh, shrubs that have been turned upside down, maybe some, some tree trunks with no vegetation on them. We're not really sure exactly what they saw. But uh, it was radically different than the world that they left one year earlier. And so God begins to bless Noah and giving him instructions really quickly. Look at verse 1. So God blessed Noah and his sons. He said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. So God blesses family and marriage and children, really no different than Genesis chapter 1. Then verse 2, he puts fear in the animal kingdom and the fear of you, verse 2, and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth on every bird of the air and on all the move on the earth and all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hand dominion over the animals, but now, unlike the, the pre-Diluvian world, animals are fearful. So that means before, before animals roamed with people, they hung out together. There's not a, a lot of meat eaters um, in uh, Adam and his family. Uh, meat eating came later. We see that. The diet change, verse 3, every moving thing that lives, God says, will be food for you. I've given you all things, even, even salad, the green herbs here. So your diet changes from just green herbs and fruits and vegetables to meat. And the diet changes, right? Yeah, amen. It changes right here. But there are some restrictions there. They're not to eat live animals, verse 4, or, or the blood, but you shall not eat flesh, with its life, that is its blood. So this is God's provision for man. He's blessing man, and he's giving man instructions, but he says, don't, don't eat live animals or the blood. Now, there's, I gave you reasons last week. One other reason about not eating uh, live animals is pretty obvious. Again, Noah, Mrs. Noah, get off the ark. Dead stuff everywhere, and all the different blood-borne 
disease and pathogens, all these different parasites and bacteria would have been everywhere, right? It's everywhere. Unlike the pre-Diluvian world, now you have this, there's death everywhere. And so God says, you've you got to cook it first. You know, you, you can't eat because all these things are dead. I really believe that's one of the reasons there. But God, God um, says you can't eat these things because all these microorganisms or viruses are going to be transferred through the blood. But most important of all, no one has sins are commanded to honor life, the sanctity of life. It's, it's in this little section here that we're looking at. And before the flood, real quick, before the flood, there was violence. There was death and destruction and man against man, violence. Here's the verse. Notice the verse behind me. We studied this a few weeks ago, Genesis 6, 11. The earth also was corrupt before the Lord, or God, and the earth was filled with violence. The reason God wipes out humanity and judges the world is because of their sin and the man-on-man violence, very violent time. And so God wipes them all out. Now, that violence started with Cain, the firstborn of Adam and Eve. Killed his brother, chapter 4, verse 8. And then the great-great-great-great-grandson, the, the evil and wickedness and, and life-threatening, uh, continued with Lamech, the great-great-great-great-grandson of, of Cain. He had no regard for human life. That's in chapter 4, verse 23. He threatens his wives. So God instructs Noah now in chapter 9 to hold life precious. The life is very precious, the sanctity of life. That God is the only one who gives life. God is the only one that takes life. And if anything else happens in between, whether it be an animal or another man that takes a man's life, they're going to pay for it in exchange with their own, verse 5, look at verse 5, surely your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning from the hand, first of all, every beast. If, if you have a beast that's uncontrolled and it tramples a man and kills him, then that beast is to die. God says, I will require its life from the hand of man. And secondly, men who willfully murder or take the innocent life away are to be put to death, verse 5 the end of verse 5, from the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he made man. And so capital punishment is instituted here in chapter 9. And there's all kinds of lessons we can learn. You can apply this to abortion. You can apply this to uh, man's, different kinds of manslaughter. But this is where we get that God ordained uh, your life would be forfeited if you take the life of someone else. It's, it's uh, murder, the penalty for murder, forfeiture of one's life. Now, beginning in verse 8, where we find ourselves tonight, and this goes all the way to verse 17, we get the Noahic covenant, the Noahic covenant. There's many covenants in the Bible. And that word covenant, I'm going to explain it. We'll talk a little bit about it. It's very, very important uh, to the ancient people, much more than, than to us even today, because I think the only place you'll find the word covenant in literature or in, in, in speech and conversation is in regards to what? What do you think it is, covenant? Marriage. It's primarily marriage. Covenant is a word we use when we talk about marriage, and people aren't really covenanting with God and their bride or husband these days. We'll talk a little bit more about it, but we're looking at Noah's, this covenant God makes with Noah, these promises that God makes to him, and they're for us too. You'll see that beginning in verse 8. Then God spoke to Noah, 
and to his sons with him, saying, And as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and your descendants. That would be you and I, after you. And with every, verse 10, living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, of all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth, thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by water, a flood. Never again shall there be flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. Verse 13, I set my rainbow in the cloud. I'm going to put a rainbow in the cloud. This is going to be the sign, the covenant uh, between me and the earth. It shall be, verse 14, when I bring a cloud over the earth, that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you, and every living creature of all flesh. The water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall not be in the cloud, or pardon me, shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all the flesh that's on the earth. Verse 17, and God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that's on the earth. Now, throughout that section we just read, you hear the word covenant, covenant, covenant. And if you read you know, this whole section, you'll see it seven times there. This is powerful language. This is repetition. God is driving home a point. He wants everybody to understand what this covenant is. That's why he repeats it over and over. It gives strength to the covenant here. He says in verse 9, I'll establish... Notice, my covenant with you, that goes from now and through perpetual generations to the future. And then verse 11, I establish my covenant with you. He's speaking to Noah and the boys, and then he includes all of the animal kingdom as well. And when he says this, I establish this covenant with you, he's, he's saying that it, it begins now. It doesn't start next week. It doesn't start when you think it should. I'm making the covenant. It's, this is a unilateral covenant. We're not negotiating. God is just saying this is what it is. He's laying it out that this is going to happen immediately. And then verse 17, he says, I have established or I've already done this. I've already made this covenant with you. So this very strong language in this section here. God initiates the covenant. God enacts the covenant. God completes his covenant. And from this point on in the Bible, we'll see other covenants, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant. There are other covenants that are very, very important in the Bible. They're, they're spiritual. This one really is physical. It has to do with a physical world. It has to do with a physical sign. It had to do with the judgment that God just meted out on the planet, killing, wiping out all men except for the, the eight that were on the ark. But again, God is doing it all and when you think of a covenant, there's two things, marriage and a contract. If you, if you go to buy a house, you know, and you look at how much the house is, and you sit with your realtor, and, and they go over the contract with you, and you see that number, and it's like, whoa, i got to sign this. It's real hard to sign that, isn't it? It's like, you, you want to sign it, and like, oh, because now you're obligated to pay the payment. You're obligated for 30 years, in some cases, or more, to make those payments. It's a covenant that you make between the buyer and the seller, and, and a lot of fear accompanies uh, covenants, but uh, covenants are between parties and between people.
But this covenant is it's not a bilateral covenant. This is a unilateral covenant. In other words, God is making this covenant with man. He instituted, he does it all. Man has nothing to do with his covenant. God says, verse 9, I will establish my covenant with you. And thus, verse 11, my covenant is with you. Verse 17, this is a sign of the covenant which I have established, God says there. That word established in verse 17 in the Hebrew, it means to build or to erect like a building, to make it strong. God is building this covenant strong. It's like, like concrete, we would say. You know, we would say his covenant is in concrete. It's not going to change. There are no conditions on the part of man. This interesting in this covenant. If you buy a house, you you know, if you make the payments, you get if you don't make payments, then this is gonna happen, this is gonna happen, they're gonna take your house from you. This covenant, there's none of that with it. No conditions in man, no termination of this covenant. Again, it's an unconditional, unilateral covenant God is making with man. God says it, he does it, and it's done right here. Period. Now, the idea of a lasting covenant for generations, as I've said, is kind of lost today. You know, ours are 30-year buyer-seller covenants, marriage covenants, which are really interesting, that, that are more or less temporary agreements anymore. I mean, think about it. It's really sad where we've gotten as a nation and as a people when it comes to marriage all re- being redefined by our, our government. I say throw them all out and get some new ones. <laughs> pray. You know, as Christians, we just need to pray. We just need to pray that God would, would allow us to have, you know, faithful men and women that love God to rule over. It's, it's horrible, but we have to pray. We have to stand. We have to vote. We have to be involved in the process. But covenants, interesting, temporary agreements when it comes to marriage. Many couples, they even add to their covenant when they make a vow, I'll love you till death to us part, but before they went to the pastor, and now they don't even go to pastor's brother-in-law with a beer in his hand down at the beach, you know, Mary, it's, it, marriage has really lost its value. I would encourage you, if you're a young person, your first selection should be a church. You don't have to be married in church, but I, I think it's a wonderful thing where the church body comes. They're here to support you, and a marriage is really important publicly, and, and that's the way God would have it to be, because you make a vow before the Lord and to other people. That means, husbands, when you blow it, when you make a mistake, and you go to your wife and say, you know what, I, I just don't love you because whatever, whatever my excuse is, your uncle, your aunt, your sister, your brother, the people that were in the audience, because they, no, 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 I, I heard you say, I'm a witness to what you said. You said you would be You'd love through all thick or thin, better or worse, all these things. We need to hold each other accountable like that in a loving and kind way, but that's what we should do as, a, as people. We should hold our relatives accountable. Don't, don't do this. I, you love that person. You can work through this and, and support them and encourage them, but, but that covenant of marriage is really lost out in prenuptial agreements and all those kinds of things, uh, the convenience of bailing out you know, and just marrying someone else. But in ancient times, and all through the scripture, you'll see covenants over and over. They're really the foundation of society. Covenants were made between people and neighbors, between cities or villages. Kings would make covenants with people. Kings would make covenant between countries. 
And the covenant was done on, you know, you, you see different people, they spit on their hands and they shake or they, they draw blood and they shake on blood or whatever. But your covenant, your word meant something. It was important. That's the kind of covenant God is making verbally. He's speaking to Noah and his sons. He's making this covenant. It's irre- irrevocable. It's, it's unconditional. It's unilateral. And God makes it without any... This is what you'll see over and over and over again in the scriptures, this, this covenant. And God is a covenant-making God. In other words, he's a promising God. And if he promised something, whether it's in the Old or New Testament, he will fulfill He's always done it. He'll always do that. But covenants were very, very important. Your word was binding on the matter. So the question is why? Why does God make a covenant with Noah? Here's my point. God assures Noah with his covenant. This is an assurance to Noah. Notice verse 11. Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall the flood destroy the earth. Now, to start with, you have to put yourself in Noah's sandals for just a moment. You were told it was going to rain, and you've never seen it before. You were told to build this massive box on dry land, it was, and, and it's, God didn't really explain what it was for, and Noah obeyed. Noah was faithful. And he was a preacher of righteousness, the New Testament tells us, that he was telling everyone, repent. God's going to judge the world. You need to repent. Turn to God. Stop the violence. Stop the, the cheating, the lying. Stop it and, and turn to God. And the people didn't. They wouldn't. And God brought judgment on all these people. And so for a full year, Noah and his family have been in this, this ark. And it started to rain. He'd never seen it before. Think about Noah. He gets off the boat and everything is radically changed. There's nothing like it. He is fearful. He gets off the boat, and he's afraid. Maybe he gets off the boat, and he's looking around, and he saw the rain start a year ago, and it rained for, remember how many days? 40 days, 40 nights of rain. It rained, and he'd never seen that before. And the rain killed people. It threatened the people, very people. So now he and his family get off the ark. They're on dry land. Maybe a sprinkle hits his face, and what what is he going to do? He's going to PTSD. I mean, he's freaking out. I mean, think about it. It's raining. Is God going to judge me too? All these people died. And and so Noah, you have to think about Noah in this situation. He he trusted God. He was safe in the ark. But now he's scared out of his mind of rain. It was rain that brought the flood that killed so many people. Maybe his relatives. Obviously his relatives and his friends and his neighbors. They're all dead. It's just these eight people that exit the ark. They've been on the, the ark for all these days, 150 days bobbing and rolling and, and floating. And then finally it comes to rest, but they were in the ark for a full year from the time it began raining. And so he gets off the ark, there's, there's horror and anxiety in his heart when the rain hits his face. I, I mean, he was a faithful man, he was a preacher of righteousness, but he's just been through a very, very uh, catastrophic Um, event. The world's been broken up. Everything changed, and that's what we see here. He's gripped with fear. Maybe maybe he's thinking, what if it doesn't stop? Maybe it's Mrs. Noah's. No, it's, it's starting again. I mean, just think about where they were, thinking that God possibly could wipe everything out once again. I, I believe those questions were going through their mind. This is why God makes a covenant. God's covenant are always his promises. 
And his promises bring stability and security. His promises help us to get through trials, don't they? When you're in a difficult trial, you, you turn to the Psalms and you read. You turn to the scriptures and you read, and God gives you assurance. He helps you, he instructs you, he, gives you, he, he helps you through those trials. Noah and his family have been through a trial, so now God's making a covenant. Why did he make it to him? Because he wants to assure him. The God that we know is a God of grace. Yes, he judged the world and wiped him out, but he's a God of grace. He's a God of love. He's a God of mercy, and he's extending his mercy in this covenant that he makes with him. I, I believe God's basically saying, Noah, don't worry. It's okay. It's okay. It's going to start raining, but as it rains, it's never going to rain like it rained when I destroyed the people. It's never going to rain like that ever again. And so God is assuring Noah. He says, I, I'm not going to do that again. That's my promise, my covenant to you. Look at the end of verse 11. He says, never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Why did he say that? Because Noah and Mrs. Noah were freaked out. They, they were concerned about their life. They, they'd never seen rain before. Now they see the bright, sunny sky. Maybe some clouds are moving. What are those clouds? Here they're coming. Are they coming after me? I mean, because remember, it was judgment. The earth, the earth broke up. The sky opened up. The people died as a result of the flood. So that's why God makes a covenant with Noah immediately as, as soon as Noah comes off the ark. God is just telling him, don't worry, it's going to rain. That's going to be part of the normal thing now. So God's assuring Noah. My next point here, the sign of the covenant, look at verse 12. The, God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in a cloud and it shall be for you a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. So this sign is evidence that God made a covenant. This is, this is the promise in the sky for all to see. Even the animals can see, which is kind of an interesting thought there. But the rainbow becomes God's reminder of assurance that the world will never go through that flood judgment ever again. And everybody can see it. Now, it's really important to note here that every covenant that God has made with men, and there's many of them, they've always been accompanied with a sign. Let me give you a couple examples. The Abrahamic covenant is circumcision. Interesting, Genesis 17. The sign of the Mosaic covenant is the observance of the Sabbath day, Exodus chapter 20. So the sign of the rainbow here in Genesis chapter 9 to Noah is really appropriate for what's going on because think about it, water has just destroyed the earth. And so now God uses water in a sense suspended in the atmosphere for this rainbow. It's, it's, it's really a, a beautiful picture there. Because when do rain, rainbows occur? When do they happen? After the storm. Rainbows always happen after the storm, and normally you might see one at the beginning, but, but normally it's, the sun has to be in the right direction for you to see the rainbow in the atmosphere. But rainbows are a sign after the storm. Just think about it. Noah has just been through the storm of his life. It killed people, and then God puts up a rainbow. 
It's a beautiful picture here. Rainbows appear at the end, mostly at the end of a storm. So the sign assures man every time he looks and there's a storm and there's a rainbow that God is never going to wipe out the world with flood again. It's, it's over. Now, I love rainbows. I, I would imagine you love rainbows, although we don't see a lot of them here in Southern California, right? We see them up in the mountains, I think, more than you would see them here. But uh, you've got to go to Seattle. Is anybody from Seattle here? If you're from Seattle, you're used to rainbows, right? Because I think they have 11 months of rainbows and one month of summer. I, I think that's what it, my sister lives up there, and I, they talk about that all the time. But I love the sky. I love anything that happens, anything that moves in the sky, I'm all about that. And I love to look in the sky, and I love to look at rainbows. They're colorful. They're mysterious. They're seven different colors. Of, of a rainbow. They're beautiful. They're different sizes. They're different lengths. They're, they're just a gorgeous, wonderful um, uh, picture of God's love, this rainbow. I've got a picture here somewhere. Did I give you a picture? There's a, there's a picture in Hawaii. There's a Hawaiian rainbow. Now, here's the, do you think you could go under that? Could you get under that rainbow? Physically, you can't do it. Physics don't allow you to. Can you get to the end of that rainbow? Can't do that, can you? You can see it. Rainbows are fascinating things. Again, they're, they're beautiful and they're in the sky. Just this arc of, of the colored bands, these seven different colors that are in the rainbow. When the sunlight just refracts just right through the, the atmosphere, through the raindrops. Really, there's normally raindrops in there somewhere and the sun is uh, light shoots through there and it bends the light and the light shows up in all these different colors. Now, there's a lot of superstition about rainbows. And I'm sure that you know some of them. Greek mythology is filled with superstition. They believe that rainbows come from a goddess named Iris. And, and the rainbow really is, Iris is sending a message to somebody on earth. It's a, it's a, it's a sign of some message. In Africa and also Aboriginal People in Australia, they see rainbows as a sign of good fortune. A lucky rainbow, you know. And everybody knows that at the end of the rainbow, there's a pot of what? That's right. See, we, we all have that in our mind, all, all those funny thoughts. And, and then there's these funny little people that are real ugly, and they're from Ireland, I think. I don't, I, you know, they speak an interesting language. There's all of these mysterious, superstitious thoughts I mean, who believes there's really a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow? Raise your hand. If you really believe that's true. See, you don't believe that. It's superstition. There's a lot of pagan superstition wrapped around rainbows. Dorothy sang a song about somewhere over the... And then there was that Kaliki Makahaka, that guy that played the ukulele a few years ago and sang that song. When did he sing that great? I love that song. I love the way it came out. Kermit the Frog, the opening of that movie. Remember that movie back in, you know, back in the early 80s? Kermit the Frog sings a song about somewhere over that rainbow. Did you, am I the only one that saw that? <laughs> Kermit. Kermit was sing, singing that song. The Rainbow Connection was a song. The Lovers, the Dreamers, and me. And so there's all these things about, about the rainbow. Sadly, in our lifetime, just you know, in the last, I think, 10 or 15 years, the homosexuals have adopted the rainbow. They've taken something that God's made, this covenant, they've taken it over as a sign of their perversion. It's really, it's, it's bad. According to the Bible, the rainbow 
in the sky is assurance to Noah that there would never be a flood like he had endured. It would never happen again. It was assurance. The rainbow was God's reminder. It was his covenant. And then God put it in the sky so everybody could see the rainbow. Verse 12 again, And God said, This is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. Now here's another important note here. There's, there are no other signs in the sky for you or for me. In terms of the Bible, there are no other signs in the sky that tell us anything. Now, I know that in your mind right now, you're thinking, well, wait a minute, I, I've heard some things. Well, yeah, we've all heard a bunch of things. Horoscopes, constellations. Think about constellations for a minute. When you, when you look at the night sky, somebody has thought about putting points of light together to create images or maps. And then pagans over the years have believed that that's telling you something. Here's the, it's always mythological gods, right? The, the different constellations and the different lights in the sky. The, those are all pagan inventions. There are not any biblical references to any message, messages that come from the stars. UFOs, uh, uh, aliens, the History Channel, and all that stuff. That is just pagan hogwash. There's nothing true about that. Again, we look at the scriptures for its truth. The stars and all those points of light have meaning to the pagans, and they've given a meaning. But biblical Christians should never rely on horoscopes. Biblical Christians should never rely on zodiac. Never. In other words, oh, but, but you know, I was born in, in July, and my color is this, and my thing is that, and... I think I even know what mine is, but I'm not going to say it. <laughs> if you're a Christian, you have God's word. You, do, you should never dabble with pagan or satanic horoscopes, zodiac. Those are satanic. Those are pagan. You are not to be a part of that. Oh, Pastor Lee, but it's just fun. I'm just doing it for fun. Yeah, and Satan is laughing the whole time. Stay away from that junk. Look at the scriptures. Make sure that you're founded in the word of God. Now, there is a reference, and we read it, and I'm hoping you're thinking this way, but back in Genesis 1, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to show it to you on the screen here. Genesis 1, verse 14. The sun, the moon, and the stars were placed by God in the heavens, and they're assigned for seasons. That's all they're for. They're just assigned for seasons. They're, we don't read anything out of them. They're not to give us anything. God doesn't instruct us with them. But notice this verse, then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from night. They, they divide things and let them be as signs for seasons and for days and for years. So the sun, the moon, the stars, they divide night and day and they show us seasons. That's all that they're there for. Calendar signs is really what they're for. They provide a consistent reference point so that you know what season, what hemisphere you're in. I've been to Australia seven times in my lifetime. Stars are really different down there. It's different when you're down there. It's a totally different thing. You look in the sky and you go, wow, that looks really weird. 
And the water, when you flush the toilet, goes in opposite direction. It's really strange. I remember sitting there just looking. That is weird. <laughs> Blows your mind. The things that blow my mind, I, I don't know. The only thing that we can see in the heavens are calendar years, signs for seasons. There is nothing there for you as a Christian to determine the future, to look forward to anything. Horoscopes, it's all hogwash, it's all pagan. Stay away from it. But I, I, I love what God says to know in verse 15, and I've titled this point here, I will remember my covenant. I love this. God says, I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. That means the rainbow is not as much for man's benefit as, as it is for God. Did you catch that? It's really interesting. And I will remember my covenant. The rainbow is so that I can remember my covenant. Isn't that an interesting thought there? I struggle with that one. I, I think about that. I look at that. But God puts the rainbow, and it's his sign and his reminder that he'll never do it again. In other words, this is like a double blessing of the Lord. Not only has he said it in his word, but he's put it up as a sign for him, for you, that he is never going to flood the earth again. And God has kept his promise for 4,000 years, hasn't he? I mean, there have been localized flooding, and people have died in floods, and tsunamis and other things. And so there are these localized things, but not a worldwide catastrophic flood that kill, kills billions of people, like the antediluvian people and the flood of Noah. And think about what God sees as he looks at you and I today. When he, when he sees you and I today, I think that he sees a world filled with people that are violent, a nation that, that aborts babies in, in huge numbers, just murders babies. And when God looks at America or he looks at the world, I think he sees the same thing that he saw in Noah's day. In fact, the scripture tells us that, that like in the days of Noah, so will the, son, the coming of the Son of Man be. The second coming uh, time is, is like the days of Noah, violence, murder, death reigning on the planet. But God looks at the bow. I'm not going to destroy him with flood. This next time, he's going to wipe out the world with fire. Uh, the descriptions are very clear in Revelation, the timetable in the book of Daniel. But the end times, again, I don't have to look at the stars. I don't look at the horoscope. I just look to the scriptures, and I can know what's going on. So mankind is polluted by lies and murder, war and corruption. God sees it all, and he withholds his judgment because he's graciously offering to men forgiveness of sins through his son, Jesus Christ. I love that about our God. He's not a, a fire-breathing dragon with lightning bolts waiting for you to make a mistake so he can poof, you know, wipe you out. He's a gracious and long-suffering and forgiving God, and he loves you. He loves me. He loves the world. He loves us so much that he sent his son while we were still sinners to die on that cross. It's an amazing reality, God's grace. That's really what we see here in the rainbow, God's grace and God's mercy. 2 Peter 3.9, I use this one a lot, but I love it. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God loves everyone. 
That's the heart of God. So every time it rains, every time it rains somewhere on the planet, there's a rainbow. And right now, while it's dark here, it's light in Australia. i got a friend there. We, we talk on Skype every once in a while. It's a lot of fun. You know, they're like 13 hours ahead or 14 hours ahead of us. So I can talk to him tonight, and it's tomorrow. It's, it's another mind blower, and we just talk, and, and it's, it's really fun. But there's rain happening all around the globe. You know, in the tropics, it's happening. There's rainbows all the time. They're occurring all the time. And every time one occurs, that's a reminder to God. I'm not going to wipe out the planet with a flood anymore. Verse 16 says, The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all the flesh that's on the earth. God's going to look at it every time he sees the rainbow. It's, again, God wants you to know that through a trial, through a storm, through a difficulty, he's there. And so he makes this covenant with Noah. And in that covenant, there's the grace of God, the care of God. And again, my next point, the rainbow is a symbol of the grace of God. It's a symbol of his mercy. The only time you see a rainbow happen is after the storm. Uh, that's really what you derive by reading this portion, this text, is that God is so merciful that he shows this rainbow. There's going to be storms in your life. Here's the application for us. There's going to be trials. There's going to be hardships. There's going to be difficulties. You're going to go through difficult things, but you know what? There's a rainbow. There's a rainbow after the storm. God always assures he loves you and I. He's going to get us through this. He always gets us through it. He doesn't remove it from us. We always pray, Lord, this trial is too much. I can't handle it. Paul said, take it away, take it away, take it away. And God said, no. And he says, because in your weakness, I'm made strong, God says to, to Paul. And Paul says, oh, okay, I, I want to be really weak then. I, I want to be really weak so the power of God rests upon me. We need to understand that when we go through a difficulty, I, th- I struggle with that as well, as just like you guys do. I don't like going in a storm. I don't like the trial. But when I read this and I see the, the symbol of God's grace in a rainbow, when I understand his grace and his love and his mercy for me and for you, oh, it just brings so much assurance, so much assurance from the Lord. The rainbow is a picture of God's grace after judgment. And we're living in that time. Think about it. Because it was some 4,000 years ago that that God destroyed the world with a flood, and now we've been living in this time of grace. God is extending his grace to us. Grace over judgment, because the world deserves judgment, but God is giving us grace. Grace. The grace of God, so beautiful, and that rainbow is just the emblem of God's grace. And then God assures Noah in this final sentence here. It's kind of a re, uh, re, recapitulating the whole thing here in verse 17. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Now there's no doubt that we need assurance from God. We need that assurance from the Lord. And God repeats the covenant one last time so that we might get it, so we might be Assured, just to drive home the point to Noah. And now Noah, now Noah, who had just gone off the ark after that year-long you know, ride 
that tumultuous storm that wiped out his friends, that killed so many people. He gets off the boat, and he's fearful. But God assures him. God comforts him with this covenant or with these promises. And I, I believe he needed that assurance from God. So God repeats it here in verse 17. And then God repeats it over and over. Every time there's a storm, there's a rainbow. He says it again and again. Christian, you should marvel at a rainbow. Next time there's a rainbow, you should just sit there and say, God, you're so gracious. Thank, thank you for being gracious to me. Thank you for being gracious to, to my family and friends. Thank you for being long-suffering. Oh, God, you're so good. We should see the grace of God in every rainbow. When you and I go through trials, and there's no rainbow because we live in Southern California where it doesn't rain. Where do we get our assurance? Where do we get the promises of God that assure us through the trials, through the temptation? The Bible, right? It's the Bible. It's filled with promises. That's where we need to spend our time when we're in a trial. We need to read the scriptures. We need to go back to his promises, the wonderful promises of God. God wants you to know that, that as a Christian, as a believer, you have already obtained eternal life. You have that. can't be taken away from you. It doesn't matter what's going on. It doesn't matter how, how, uh, how uh, I, I've got all these thoughts in my mind. It doesn't matter how expensive the, it is to live. It doesn't matter how, many, uh, how much money you have in the bank. It doesn't matter. Those things it doesn't matter how sick you are. You have been promised eternal life. Jesus said this, and I love this, and you can look at it in the scripture, which would be really good, but I'm going to throw it up on the screen here. John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I love that verse. That's a verse when you're, you're questioning your salvation. When you've done something wrong, when you've sinned and you willfully did it and you know it was wrong, but you go back to the Word and you realize that, that God has given you eternal life, that you can be forgiven, that if you confess your sin, He's faithful and just to forgive you your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you believe the promises of God, those are your assurances through the storms of life. We're looking at Noah. He's just gone through it. And God immediately makes this covenant with him just to assure him. I believe God wants you to feel assured. He doesn't want you intellectually just to know it. And I, I know it because I read the scriptures, I study it. I know it. And I, do, I still feel at times unassured, but then I'll read the verse and, oh, I just get confidence again. I'll read the scriptures and they bring, the promises of his word bring these great hope and promises and, and assurance to every believer. In closing, let me just read this illustration I read today in preparation for our study. Donald Gray Barnhouse, one, a great, great pastor, preacher, evangelist, he tells a story during World War I where he shared the gospel to a French woman and she was saved. She was going through a really great trial and Barnhouse told her to make a promise box. Just, 
just a small little box with hundreds of pieces of paper with your favorite scriptures. As you read the scripture, write it down, put it in the box, put it in the box. Fill the box up with all these promises, hundreds of promises written on slips of paper. While the war was raging and there was no food and she had children and and her trial was great, no clothes, their, their shoes were, had holes, their clothes were rags. In a moment of desperation, she remembered what Barnhouse had told her about the promise box, and she cried out, Oh, Lord, I have such great need. Is there a promise here that's, that's really for me? And, and as she was doing that through her tears, she dropped the box, and, and all those promises went all over the floor, all over her lap. Not one of those promises was left in the box, and suddenly she felt a flood of emotion encouraging her with joy. She realized that all of these promises were hers. This was all for her. God has promised all of these wonderful things, but she had forgotten. But now they were all around her. When God gave the promise to Noah, it's just like the promises he gives to you. He's going to get you through any difficulty you're in right now. He's going to hold you up and bear you up in the difficulty and the trial. God, God set a rainbow as a promise for Noah. God gives you and I the promises in his word. So I can live in Southern California where there's doesn't ever rain or rains very little here. And I can find and dig in and mine the great promises of God. And I can get through that trial and get through that storm and see the rainbow on the other side. doesn't matter what your situation is tonight. All of God's promises are for you. They're for each one of you. I love this verse. I want to conclude with it. 2 Corinthians 1.20 For all the promises of God in Him are yes. And in Him, that's Jesus, amen, to the glory of God through us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the wonderful promises of your word and this story that reminds us. It really reminds us, Lord, of your many precious promises that you've given to us. But the beautiful, the beautiful story of the promise that you've given to not only Noah and his family, but to all his descendants, to, to us as well, the promise of the rainbow that never again would the world be destroyed by flood. Thank you for your grace, O oh Lord. Thank you for your mercy. Father, tonight as, as we close our service, I just pray for any here that, that are in a trial, that they're, they're overwhelmed, Lord. The waves are just going over their heads and they're hurting and they're sad and they're broken. And I pray, Lord, tonight they'd find great promise and great hope in this text of Scripture. Just as you encouraged Noah, with a promise, with a covenant, Lord, may you encourage them with your word that you'll never leave or forsake, that all things will work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. All your wonderful promises, Lord, for us, we, we thank you and we praise you, how good you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.